so glad you're here. If you're new, we love that you're here. Uh, the title of the message this morning is entitled Pathways to Obedience, Pathways of Obedience. And I was going to title it, uh, Let Somebody Else Pay the Dumb Tax. Let Somebody Else Pay the Dumb Tax. You know what I'm talking about? Would you like somebody else to pay the dumb tax for, your, for this year? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So, but I just want to say you're at the right place. It's awesome to see you. And again, we love that you're here. If you're new to church, uh, one of the things we do, we're going to read the scriptures in just a minute. But uh, as well as everybody watching online, we just want to welcome you. We're super glad that you're here. Uh, The Bible says this. The Bible says this. I want to point this out to you. It says, but for whatever things were written, whatever things were written, including what is written here and what we're going to talk about today, whatever is written before, before the Old Testament, okay, were written for us, like for our learning, okay? So everything we're going to talk about, I just want to remind you, it's for you. It's for your learning. Everything we're going to unpack here in the book of Judges is, is written to people just like us, just like you. And so people that are full of potential, full of capacity, but also at the same time, full of the capacity for compromise and for rationalization and disobedience and all the things that they did. And so uh, they're written for us so we can learn. So like we don't have to mess up like they messed up. And so we don't have to fail over and over and over like you're going to see they failed over and over and over. And so what we're doing is we're looking at how God worked back then because God wants to work the same way now. It's not any different. And so we want to answer the question, how do we walk with God now so we can avoid all the stuff we're going to talk about this morning, avoid their mistakes? And what if we here today let them pay the dumb tax? And the people that needed a lot of caffeine said, we need to get some Red Bulls going on this morning is what I think. So we're going to be reading Joshua, or Judges chapter 1, uh, and we're going to lift up God's word together. So if you're able to stand, please do. We're going to read the scripture and explain it and apply it and be encouraged by the public reading of scripture. I'll read the first uh, verse there, then you read the verse 2 and verse 4. This is the word of the Lord. After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, which tribe should go first to attack the Canaanites? The men of Judah said to their relatives from the tribe of Simeon, join with us to fight against the Canaanites living in the territory allotted to us. Then we'll help you conquer your territory. So the men of Simeon went with Judah. Verse 19, and the Lord was with the people of Judah. They took possession of the hill country but they failed to drive out the people living in the plains who had iron chariots. You may be seated. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. And Father, uh, we come to you now thanking you for Jesus Christ, the resurrected living Lord. Father, we pray you to stir within us and awaken within us uh, a desire to know you, to know the scripture. Pray that you'd build your church. Pray that you'd do Uh, something awesome, build a faithful and fervent and fruitful and fearless church that would honor you in the hour in which we live, that would be grace-filled and God-honoring and city-serving and equipping and always abounding in your work. We pray that you would do what only you could do. May we hear your voice this morning, uh, lead us closer to yourself and stir within us an expectancy of what we're going to, to hear this morning and fall afresh upon us. By your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name, and everyone agreed, saying... And so the book of Josh, book of Judges here was written over 340 years. 
these 20-something chapters. All we're going to see is there's 12 cycles of God's people just going through cycle after cycle after cycle. here, And they were well-intentioned, but then they would stumble into disobedience. Then they would turn their backs on God. Then they would be possessed by their enemy. Then they'd cry out to God and God would rescue them. Now we hit the repeat button again and again and again. So you have 12 generations spread out over 340 years that are going to do the same thing, trapped, ensnared by by the cycle, oft-repeating cycle here. And so Judges chapter 1, verse 1 starts out this way. It says, after the death of Joshua, now they start out right here. They do the right thing. Look, they ask the Lord. They're seeking the Lord. They're inquiring of the Lord. So they start out with the right intentions, but it's going to go completely south real quick. And they ask, hey, give us guidance. Which tribe should go and first attack the the Canaanites, the malignant, awful enemies there? And so what we see here is that, first of all, they're asking for help. And who are the Canaanites but those that live in Canaan? Like, who are Americans but those that live in America? And so the children of Israel, though, God made it very clear to them they were to eliminate the Canaanites. They were to utterly remove, to get rid of all Canaanites, no trace whatsoever, no masaki, completely get rid of them. So it says here, watch, after the death of Joshua, after the death of Joshua, here's what happens here. God's people, God's people now, they're plunged into full military readiness here. Uh, military preparation. It's going to be battle after battle. There's a roar of chariots going through the valleys there. The the hillsides are filled with the bristling of of armed soldiers there. There's a loud clashing of weapons, and you need to see what's happening. They know they're they're getting geared up. It's quiet, and, and they're getting their game face on. After the death of Joshua, a new a new era is dawning here, a transitional period, a turbulent period here. God's people are wondering like, now, now what are we going to do next? Like we're in the promised land, but how are we going to, how are we going to possess the promised land? Like we don't have a leader. There's a leadership vacuum. Moses is dead. Joshua is dead. What are we going to do now? And so it's a difficult time of darkness, a tumultuous time, time of chaos, a time of, of confusion here. And Israel is wondering, how are they going to subdue the enemies in the land? Morally, spiritually, in every way, it is decaying. It is, it's on a downward spiral here. They're sinking into spiritual apathy. Remember just last week? Yes, Lord, we'll never forsake you. We'll always follow you. And Joshua, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And they're like, yeah, well, now look at what happens here. After the death of Joshua, no king, no prime minister, no one to lead them, no president. And so, so here's what happened. The Israelites, then they asked the Lord, good start, way to go. They're doing the right thing here. And so they're asking, what should we do now? And so they're turning to God. What's our next step? Would you lead us? Would you guide us? Yeah. So what I want us to see here when we're talking about pathways to obedience, or in other words, pathways to your best life, pathways to the best version of you is what we're talking about. This is your best life on the other side of obedience. What I want to show us is, first of all, this. Obedience begins with, like them, they're looking to the Lord. 
They're looking to the Lord. They're, they're asking the Lord for his direction. That's how you start. So the Lord says to them, go first attack the Canaanites. Watch, watch. The land was to be taken by force. God gave them the land, but the land was to be taken by force. I think Christians today can be, can be overly passive. Uh, we need to recognize that there are some things you, you have to take by force, that it just doesn't passively come to you. God is working for you. God has given it to you, but you have to, there's things you have to take by force. And so it had to be done by faith. They had to be aggressive about this. God gave them the promise, but they had to step into the promise. They're, they're getting ready to fight some battles here. So in the book of Joshua, they entered the land, they divided the land, but now they have to occupy the land here. And the initial battles that they would face would require them to drive out an enemy that was intimidating, that was superior in its weaponry and military might. They're a bunch of podunk farmers and all here. But like us, all that to say this, like us, there are still a lot of enemies in the land. You know what I'm talking about. What you feel that rises up against you. And if you're a Christ follower, we have Joshua or our Jesus, Yeshua, who is for us and not against us. But yet there's still battles there. And Jesus brings us into his kingdom. But for each of us, there's going to be struggles. There's going to be battles in your life. And you will be engaged against an enemy there. The popular New Testament passage there in Ephesians chapter 6, we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness and things we can't see, but yet that we are battling against as long as we have breath. So how about us? The things we're battling against. You battle against sin. Okay, like the Canaanites, they represent sin. You're going to battle against sin. There's going to be the attacks of the Canaanites, the attacks of the evil one there. So we look at verse 2. The Lord answered Judah, says, for I've given them victory over the land. So Judah's not a person. Judah is a tribe. The children of Israel is made up of a coalition of tribes there. This is one tribe. Why pick Judah? Well, because Judah was the obvious military choice because they were stronger. They were more powerful. They were the largest tribe, the most capable tribe of taking on the Canaanites. So the Lord said, yeah, Judah, okay, you're going to go. You're going to fight against the Canaanites. Verse 3, the men of Judah said to the relatives from the tribe of Simeon, join with us and fight against the Canaanites. So they're just recruiting their buddies. When the men of Judah attacked, the Lord gave them victory over the Canaanites. So things are cooking. Things are going well here. And so what I want us to see here, what's going to happen now, is there is a, there is a, a tragic transition that happens here. Verse 19 is a very transitional verse. So we're going to skip down to that. Watch what it says. Watch, watch. The Lord is with the people of Judah. Can everybody say that together? Let's repeat together. One, two, three. The Lord. Now say it like you had a little good coffee this morning, a little caffeine, a little Red Bull. Give me just, give me just a, a little, just a little bit of energy one more time. I'll let you redeem yourselves. One, two, three. The Lord. Thank you. Now I know you're actually awake here, so that the hour has changed and you've lost an hour of sleep. So says here, says here that the Lord okay, is with them. So with the people of Judah. 
Well, watch what happens here. Watch it say, what's it say here? Don't, I don't want you to go back to that. Go back. I'm not done. They took possession of the hill country. Now, when you read that, you think, yeah, the hill country. Talking about the nice view over the valley, you know, the five-star expensive real estate. Yeah, the hill country. Nothing could be farther from the truth. These are not the view lots up the hill. This is not the nice real estate. This is the awful, crummy place where only the outcasts live because it's up there where there's no water, where nobody wants to live there. We're talking utter poverty. We're talking about crummy, awful, you know, a dollar an acre real estate here. No one wants to live there. So they get the crummy real estate, but now watch happens. So, so they got that, the thing nobody wanted. And they're like, yeah, we got the hill country, you know, high five, chest bump one another. But now watch. But they failed. What? I thought, did we go back? Did we just read that the Lord was with them? What did you guys just read? The Lord is with you, but watch. Next verse. But they failed. How can the Lord be with you? And you fail. They fail to drive out the people living in the plains. What's the big deal about the plains? Why were they unable when the Lord was with them? Well, because they had iron chariots. 900 iron chariots. There's the kicker there why the people weren't able to do it. Because of the obstacles in the land. These armored tanks screaming implements of, of warfare, intimidating there. And the reason that the children of Israel could not drive them out was because of their chariots. They're like, we're stuck. What are we, what are we going to do here? Friends, watch. Even when God is with us, there are obstacles in your life. You will feel like, I can't drive this thing out. This is a stronghold. This is bigger than me. Uh, this is stronger than me. See, the problem, inconvenient truth number one is that the path of obedience is full of massive, many obstacles. These things, Romans chapter 15, verse 4, were written for you. This morning, written for you. Written to tell you that you have a pathway that you're on to your best life, okay? Your best version of you, but... That best version of you is filled with many obstacles, many massive obstacles there. In this case, intimidating iron chariots, a dominant enemy, superior weaponry. Life was hard for them. But we saw that God was still at work. They took the hill country. But they get down to the plains and like, no way, Jose, you're not taking this. Oh, what about us? You hit obstacles there. And you feel like, you know, I know that God wants me to move forward, but there's a big obstacle. And here's the reality, like the children of Israel, we are just like them. And they were tempted, okay, not only were they tempted, but they took the smooth and easy path of disobedience. The pathway of obedience is lined with opportunities for disobedience, all kinds of potholes and obstacles that they face that we face. And when you determine that you're going to walk with God on a day-by-day -day basis, you need to realize there will be iron chariots. There will be an enemy that wants to resist you. 
And so Judges chapter 1, verse 27, watch. What I want us to see here is the Lord was with them, but look what happens when the Lord was with them. And learn and be warned, friends, be warned. Because this is for you. This is for us this morning. Watch. It is going to say over and over again. So I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, um, I'm grinding through this. I'm dragging you through this over and over. And you're going to get a little bit tired of seeing this. But I want you to see is over and over and over, the Lord's with them, but they fail. And they fail and they fail. Watch verse 27. The tribe of Manasseh, everybody say together, one, two, three, they failed. Okay, watch. To drive out the people. And Beth Sham and all the other places there that are hard to pronounce. And so, uh, and so because, watch, the Canaanites, watch, the Canaanites were determined. You see, you'll face obstacles that are determined uh, to keep you from walking, to moving forward in obedience here. So there was an obstacle in the way of their obedience. The Canaanites determined to dig in, determined to keep the plane. The nice ground that was had a, a great farmland and a great ranch and all that there. And so, verse 28, everybody looking at the screens and not your phones. Everybody looking up. When the Israelites grew stronger, now watch what happens. Watch what happens now. Don't miss this. Now they're growing stronger. Now they're going to be able to take the planes. God is working. Okay, but what do they do? And what did, what did the Bible say over and over again? They're to eliminate them. They're to displace them. They're to get rid of them. What does it say? They forced the Canaan. What's it say? To work as slaves. And so you can think like, well, this is partial obedience. Okay, remember, they took the hill country. Yeah, five, five, high five, chest bump. Yeah, we did it. Now they come to the plains. They could have displaced them. Now they can. Now they're stronger and stronger. They, now they can displace them. What do they do? Hey, I got, I got a good idea. Let, this is free labor. What do you mean? That's a great idea. Free labor. Let's do free labor. And let's you. Well, we can have slaves. They can do all the stuff we don't want to do. And so they forced the Canaanites to work as slaves. They're disobeying God. Friends, this is, this is compromise. They're to drive them out, not keep them around. Now watch. But they never, they never did drive them completely out of the, out of the land. So we're talking about, in their minds, hey, at least we're like 50%. Like we didn't, we didn't win the hill country, and we're not quite winning now the plains, but, but we'll keep them as slaves. And so they're, they're deceiving themselves here, and they're thinking they're clever, just like us. We think we're so clever and we can rationalize and come up with all these good ideas why we don't have to obey what God has said. Why we coexist with the deadly Canaanites that would ultimately destroy uh, many of them. Uh, we can do the same thing. And remember, the Lord was with them. And you see what happens here. Just because the Lord is with you doesn't mean you can't fall into pathways of disobedience here. And so uh, they had this hill mentality, like it's good enough to take the hill, but it's good enough to kind of obey God, you know, 50%, halfway, like I I'm doing better than I was. We're doing way better than, than we were here. And so they settled, just like we can settle with the Canaanites, coexisting, forced labor. Hey, this is to our advantage. Uh, this is good enough. And what a story that is of us. So don't miss this. 
Because the decision not to drive out the Canaanites seemed like it worked well at first. How many people would agree with me that you got slaves, it's feeling good? Come on, somebody. Put yourself back then. You got slaves. Hey, uh, could you make the fire? Could you cook my food? By the way, could you clean up the, the hillside there? Could you do X, Y, and Z? It's feeling good. Can we, can we disagree with that? Okay, thank you. And so, uh, so think about it. Free labor. Servants everywhere doing the work for them. But they're rationalizing their disobedience. They're rationalizing their disobedience. Because what did this lead, lead to? Centuries of conflict. Their children would be destroyed. Their grandchildren, generations would be impacted by this decision here. What would happen is the Canaanites, that God knew in all his knowledge and wisdom, you, you, got it, you can't even, you cannot coexist with the people so malignant, so awful, you can't coexist with them. And yet the Canaanites then seduced them and pulled them into a lifestyle of disobedience and dishonoring God, a culture that they could not handle. They began to worship false gods and demon gods. Worshiping demon gods. And so that led God to say, you know, I've had enough. Can't take it anymore. Cycle number one of 12 cycles there is that you're going to begin here. So God never told them to hire the Canaanites as slaves. It was their idea, not God's idea. And I believe that one of the reasons, uh, sort, of a, sort of a subtle, this is kind of subtle, but a subtle reason why we sometimes don't obey God is our good ideas. I got a great idea. Hey, can I tell you about my idea? We have, these, we have these ideas and we think like, yeah, it's a great idea. And it's subtly a way not to obey what God is making real to you. And it's not a God idea, but it's a good idea. I begin leaning into the good idea there. And God simply said to the children of Israel, drive out the Canaanites from the land. And so what they do here is, is, is they compromise what you need to realize about compromising is when you compromise, it always grows. It's not static. It's dynamic. And it'll grow here and it'll continue and it'll compromise you as you move forward there. And when we find an area of your life where you say, you know what? I'm not going to change that. God said drive out that thing out, but I'm going to coexist. Well, I got a good idea here and I don't want to make a willful decision uh, I got that slave idea going on, and I willful decision to continue in this area of my life. And essentially, you are saying, God, I'm going to go my way on this one. Subtly, may not come to verbal expression, maybe an attitude there, but they're told here to eliminate them. And remember, this is a picture of your life. This is you, the Bible is talking about. This is my life. This is your life. Jesus referred to this in the New Testament, and, uh, and it seemed pretty intense. But Jesus is very graphic in his language about things that people needed to sin, that they needed to turn from. And so he would use lang he would language it in such a way that you can imagine the people in the crowd going, hey, Jesus is talking about missing party missing body parts, like plucking out your eye, cutting your hand off, uh, just to get their attention that look. Serious measures 
are needed to distance yourself from things which cause sin. The Canaanites in your life. And so, uh, but we can have an attitude of, well, I'll obey God. Here's a picture of, I'll obey God when I want to. And they chose to disregard the word of the Lord, which says, drive them out. We can do the same thing where we selectively obey scriptures that we put on the fridge or we like those and then disobey the ones that we don't. So the pathway of obedience, you need to see, is always full of obstacles. There are Canaanites in the land. Inconvenient truth number two, standing in the way of your best life. The best version of you is this. The path of disobedience is full of rationalization. The path. That's why we're experts of doing it, is because it's full of, of rationalization, where I can rationalize my way with the best of them. I'm a pro at rationalizing disobedience. There's Canaanites still in the land. Uh, the key thought is that it's a, uh, their thinking is, it's such a good idea rationalizing, keeping the Canaanites in the land, a picture of us. We do the same thing, a big compromise, friends, here. So here's my question to you, and something that I, I want to I lean into and press into a little bit, and that is, do we here today, do we, could it be that we keep any deadly Canaanites in our lives? I'm just, I'm just saying, could it be, could it be, whether you're, you're, not of the faith, new to the faith, a veteran in the faith, could it be that there are still Canaanites in the land of your life? See, perhaps I want to suggest to you that perhaps there are. I want to suggest to you that there, that there are Canaanites in the land. I want to suggest to you that there are Canaanites in your life this morning is what I want to suggest. I want to suggest a few, maybe for some... And I don't know, like, I, I don't know your, your life, really. I, I know my, I don't know your life. But for some, maybe it's your temper. Temper outburst that, uh, you know, that thing's had a stranglehold on you for a long time. Maybe it's 50% better. And you're doing much better with that. And your fuse is a little bit longer. You, you, you did the hill country. You, you, you won that part. But yet you're still rationalizing to yourself. And you're saying, you know, I'm doing better. My temper's, I'm not blowing people out of the water like I used to. And, you know, I, I'm more, I got the hill going on. I'm more controlled with my, my thought life than I used to be. Yet God is calling you to purity. Uh, my dating relationships, nothing, you know, uh, like they, they used to be. Nothing like the whole what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I mean, none of that anymore, but, you know, I'm not a wild child anymore. I'm, a half, I'm at least halfway there, and you, you rationalize your disobedience. Or maybe it's you can't forgive somebody, and it just seems to have you. I, I, feel, like as, I feel like, you know, before I talk, I, I have to filter it through my own life. I can't stand up here and be phony with you and hide behind, you know, this and not be honest with myself. So I process that. One of the things I processed was is realizing there, there are some people that, like, I'm struggling to forgive them. 
Like, I, I, know, I know all the verses about forgiveness. I could quote all the verses, not to sound a way I don't want to, but I could quote like all the scriptures are, like I know about forgiveness, but yet I'm still, I feel like there's a, like a Canaanite in the land and, and I'm like halfway there, but, but, I, but I'm still not there. And I find myself, I'll rationalize, like, well, they did this and they did that and they abandoned me, whatever there. So we can rationalize why we don't obey God. We can rationalize, we can rationalize like, like anything. We can rationalize not, a, not going to church. You can rationalize, you know, not reading scripture. You can rationalize, you know, like, well, you don't want to pray. You, don't. you can rationalize just about anything there. And we see over and over again more disobedience. Watch verse 30. The tribe of Zebulun failed again. Well, I just want to show you fail, fail, fa- failed again to drive out the Canaanites. Yet the Lord's with you. Next verse 31, the tribe of Asher failed to drive out the residents there of Sichon. Instead, what do they do? They moved in with the Canaanites. What? Drive them out? No, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna move in. We're gonna cohabitate. What happened to what God just told you? You're gonna cohabitate now with the enemy, and they failed to dislodge them. Verse thirty-three. Likewise, the tribe of Naphtali failed to drive out the residents of Beth Shemesh. Instead, they too. It's kind of getting popular now. They move in with the Canaanites. You see what's happening here? Fail, fail, fail. Oh, there's Canaanites in the land. Oh, there's chariots in the land. Oh, the Canaanites are determined here. All the, the many obstacles, the myriad of, uh, uh, of mighty obstacles they're facing. But now watch. Chapter 2, verse 1. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said to the Israelites, this is the word of the Lord. I brought you out of Egypt into the land that I swore to your ancestors. And for your part, you're not to make any covenants or agreements with the people living in this land. Instead, you're to destroy their altars. Destroy them, just get them out of the land and destroy their altars. But watch, but watch, what's it say here? But you want, everybody say together, you, on the count of three, one, two, three. Disobeyed. You, you, you disobeyed. Like I gave you everything. You remember last week, cities that you did not build, groves that you did not plant. I gave you everything in the promised land. I promised it. I would help you take the land. I've done all that for you. There's nothing more that I could do for you, but you, you disobeyed my command. See, we need to understand this. God never intended for the children of Israel to conquer the land Easily, like the Christian life's not easy. Uh, it's it's actually it can be hard. So he never intended to happen quickly. Deuteronomy it says that it will happen little by little. Like you get victories little by little. You grow spiritually little by little, and so you take the land little by little. And it's almost as as if Israel said, God's people said, you know what? If it can't be easy, I'm out of here. It can't be easy. I, I don't want to fight these battles. I'm not into that. So because of their disobedience, the nation then is plunged into a downward spiral of moral and spiritual and ethical uh, declining there, and they begin to suffer in every way, militarily, socially, economically. And it is always the same 
cycle that happens there when God's people will disobey him. And, uh, and you look in our nation today uh, in a state of decline, in a post-Christian nation. And so verse 3, so now I declare that I will no longer, watch, here's God said, you know, okay, you're going to disobey, I'm done. I've been with you. I've helped you. I've done everything I can, but I've got a limit. And it says here, I declare I will no longer drive out the people living in the land. You're on your own. And there will be thorns uh, in your sides. There's going to be uh, um, obstacles and issues there because of your sin. You're going to face my judgment now. Verse 4, when the angel of the Lord finished speaking to all the Israelites, the people wept loudly. I want to say this, saying sorry is not enough. Saying sorry is not enough. A little remorse, not enough. It's okay, but it's more than that. It's turning from what we're doing. The Bible calls it repentance. It's an about face there. Weeping loudly, just not enough here. God says, look, you want to follow me? I have incredible promises for you. These promises filled with provision there for the land that I've given you. It's a great land that I gave you, a land flowing with milk and. And so uh, he says to them, look, I've given it all to you and you just disobeyed me. And Israel went on until they faced difficulty, until they said, I don't think we can do this anymore, uh, until it gets hard and that's what chapter one is all about here. God's people are living a life that was not promised, that was not plentiful, that did not have provisions, though God did all of the above. And so the people uh, uh, had things in their life. They were supposed to drive out the Canaanites like we do. What is it? What is a Canaanite in your land? Verse, verse seven, chapter three, and I'm going to wrap it up with this. And the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So, so what, what does that look like? Like what's behind that? Here's what's behind that. It says, they forgot about the Lord their God. Like they forgot God. God was with them. They forgot God. And watch what happens. And then when you forget God, your heart is, your heart is distracted there. And so watch. They served Baal, demon gods. And other gods, like in America, we are full of other gods here, forgetting about God. And the nation now is, is, is on a downward declining trajectory here. It is because they're serving other gods, because they forgot their gods. They forgot Yahweh. They forgot Jehovah. And so I, I, just, I don't have time to, to really un, unpack it like I would. I want to say this, they forgot, and that affected the next generation and the next generation. Even though Joshua said, as for me and my house, man, we're all about God, okay? But here, I want us all that to say this, look, is it, it's on us. It's on us, friends, to pass on a heritage of strong Christian culture that is an incredible asset to the next generation. It is on us. It only takes one generation, 25 years, for it to be over. And so God's people failed 
uh, because uh, their forgetting God led to disobedience, uh, and they forgot to leave a heritage to the next generation, such that the Bible says in verse 10 that there, there arose a generation that didn't know God, nor the acts that he had done. That's what's at stake. That's what's at stake here. That's what's at stake in our nation. Chapter 3, verse 12. Once again, the Israelites, there it is again and again and again. We're getting tired of reading this. Did evil in the Lord's sight. Okay? Uh, And the Lord gave King Elgon of Moab control over Israel. Watch, there it is. Now, this is what happens. Now, they're going to hate their life because someone is in control of them because they're evil. And so, uh, are there deadly Canaanites in our lives? What happened is, what happened is, is this king here, this king, he raped the people. For 20 years, they're raped. They're pillaged. Cruelly, cruel, cruel, cruel life. God said, I'm done. And this is what happened here. And so I just close with this is, is are there are the Canaanites in our lives? The, the, the seeds of anger, the seeds of resentment, seeds of unforgiveness. Maybe it seems legitimate pain or, or hatred there caused by others. It was unjust. It was unfair. And, or or, or, or what, what is the thing in your life there? And so uh, perhaps addictions here, uh, things that we can just, these potholes that the road of obedience is littered with, their opportunities to be dis, uh, displaced into disobedience there. And so I want to close with some sobering thoughts here, and that is that your partial obedience. What happened to them? Partial obedience, Rick, you can start. Partial obedience made them slaves. 20 years, the Lord was with them, now 20 years, slaves. You see the power of what it can do to us? Partial obedience, these things were written for us, makes slaves of us all. So here's the bottom line. The bottom line is God wants your heart. That's the bottom line. God wants your heart. And your heart is the land being fought over. God doesn't want half of your heart. The hill country, God doesn't want half your heart. God doesn't want to be like a part of your life here. Watch, Jesus didn't go to the cross and Jesus didn't die on the cross to be a part of your life. God is way too big to be a part of anything that you are doing. And the reality is there there, there are places that they're hard to surrender. There's pleasure in sin for a season. In other words, sin is fun. Sin is fun. That's why we do it. It's fun. It's enjoyable. But that's what God is going after. Because God knows with us, like he knew of them, that what you enjoy most is the thing that can enslave you. The thing you enjoy most can enslave you. So 
no matter how far we've gotten off the path, God wants to put you back on the path by his grace. The doorway is a doorway of repentance. Not just, uh, I'm sorry, no, no. It's turning from that and turning to him. So if we could bow our heads in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your word, these things written for us, people just like us. These things written for us that we would have hope and comfort. Hope that it doesn't need to be that way with us. Hope that you'd write a new chapter with us. Hope that we could hear God's voice through God's word. Hope that this would be a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. Hope that you would do what only you can do and go where only you can go. Oh, we ask you that you would help us to, by your grace, to drive out the Canaanites in the land. In Jesus' name.